0: This episode of AHLA Speaking of Health Law is brought to you by AHLA members and donors like you. For more information, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm Joe Miller. I'm vice chair of AHLA's Antitrust Practice Group. I'm also co-chair of Mintz-Levin's Antitrust Practice, uh, where I focus in the healthcare industry. I'm here today with my partner, Bruce Sokler. Uh, Bruce, will you want to introduce yourself uh, for a minute, and then we'll go on with the conversation.
0: Hi, everyone. Uh, As Joe says, I'm Bruce Sokler. I'm the other co-chair of Mintz's Antitrust Practice, and I've been uh, doing healthcare antitrust for several decades, I'm afraid to say. You know, Joe, um, it's a rare event when antitrust leads the news in the New York Times, and that seems to be happening more and more frequently. Uh, You know, very recently, it happened in connection with the uh, executive order uh, President Biden put out on uh, July 9th which called for an across the government focus on antitrust competition issues and identified 72 initiatives across several industries. What do you think is of particular importance to the healthcare industry in there?
1: So there's a lot uh, that's of importance to the healthcare industry. As you said, it cuts across industries and it's got um, a particular focus on a few industries. Healthcare is one of them. Of course, the FTC and the Justice Department has been focused on healthcare for a long time. Um, But I think here they're particularly looking at hospital mergers. They're encouraging uh, the FTC to go back uh, and examine what they've been doing and to, you know. Particularly focused resources there on pharmaceutical issues and pharmaceutical distribution and PBM issues. So those are those are you know three of the most important topic areas and industries that the um, administration thinks they'd like to focus on.
0: Yeah, and one other thing I noticed that's probably particularly relevant to the healthcare industry, even though it was expressed as a more general set of initiatives, is it sort of in the labor wage uh, area. Uh, the executive order has this recommendation that the FTC consider uh, banning unreasonable uh, non-compete provisions and employment agreements, et cetera. And we know that there's been litigation over, you know, non-competes and no-poach agreements in lots of industries, including uh, the healthcare industry. Moreover, they, they the executive order puts some focus on, uh wage and salary and other surveys that are done by employers and calls on the Justice Department, the FTC, to take a harder look at guidance they already have in place against that and also suggests that uh, some of this stuff should be uh, also uh, transparent to employees, to workers, which is, I think, consistent to you know, with the Biden administration's uh, pro-labor approach on a lot of things. And, you know, uh, while it's like in a different section of of the EO than healthcare, it's one that people ought to pay attention to.
1: Absolutely. So there was, um, in the previous administration, focus on labor issues uh, of sort. I think there's a more aggressive posture here. So over the last year or so, you saw some state AGs going after um, non uh, non compete provisions uh, in low wage industries, uh, where I think it's you know from an antitrust perspective um, easiest as a plaintiff to focus. Here I think there's a broader focus on non compete agreements. Um, the no poach, um, no poach agreements being I agree not to poach your workers, you agree not to poach mine. Um, that in 2016 was a huge focus of the administration and announced, and it's actually still on DOJ's website, that that would be criminally prosecuted. So, um, you know, if they caught you from here on out, that would be, um, that would be um, the focus of a grand jury investigation. And those, those have actually happened. So I think you see, you know, even more of a focus, but this has not been ignored. Um, I think it's important for healthcare because traditionally, um, or not traditionally, but some of these cases that you have seen in the past have focused on healthcare. So there was a, a nurse uh, nurse wage case um, and um, class actions um, probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, uh, another one from the Justice Department. Um, in the mid-2000s for traveling nurses, um, where there was agreements among hospitals to suppress their wages. Those were civil cases, and I think you need to bear down a lot on that now. I think it's, you know, common for hospitals to have wage surveys for um, all sorts of employees to share that information. That's something that everybody should pay attention to. And of course, you know, on the no-poach front, um, there was a famous case in North Carolina involving Duke University that, you know, entered into uh, a no-poach agreement with a rival hospital that, you know, got them into some trouble and there's more litigation, you know, over that. Um, So I do think that's, uh, you know, it has been a focus. It'll be an increasing focus. I thought it was interesting in the executive order encouraging um, the Justice Department to go back and review their 2016 policy, which had been a more aggressive stance than than you'd seen in the past.
0: Uh, Your reference to the word encouraging or
1: encourage
0: is uh, particularly appropriate because the executive order for the most part is not self-executing. And in fact, the, the president really doesn't have the authority to uh, implement many of the things, particularly things that would have to be done by uh, independent agencies like the Federal Trade Commission, Federal Communications and others. Uh, it, it didn't take long, however, for the uh Chair of the FTC and the uh, interim head of the Department of Justice to put out a statement the same day last last week to the effect that uh, we hear you and we're going to start a review of the merger guidelines. This to, this to, uh, toughen them up. Uh,
1: So on on that in particular, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that's that's an important point to bring out. Um, So the merger guidelines, of course, cut across every industry. uh, And this kind of got buried in the news of the executive order because it encompassed so much. Uh, So if FTC and DOJ do nothing else besides toss the current merger guidelines and do something much more expansive, that's going to be a huge deal. Uh, It will take them a while, I think, to write it. Um, But there's a big gap between case law and the... um, and what the agencies actually do. Um, That is the case law is more permissive than the agencies, um, you know, uh, uh, than the agencies bring their cases. They can bring them, um, they cite cases um, that, you know, go back several decades that are no longer sort of uh, forward looking antitrust analysis because they're actual precedent, and that's what a district court has to follow. Uh, but the analysis uh, that they do internally and to decide to, you know, what cases to bring is more along the lines of the merger guidelines. Uh, and so this is this is a pretty big deal.
0: And you know, it should be looked at alongside of I think uh, other activities that are happening uh, in the uh, antitrust area, both on Capitol Hill, where you know, people probably know that there's a dozen or so bills kicking around. Whether any of them will get through uh, this Congress or not is a different question, but they range from process to giving more money to the agencies to changing the substantive standards. But particularly again, for the healthcare industry, uh, the new chair appointed by Biden of the FTC, Lena Khan, has hit the ground running and she had her first open meeting and she took you know, several steps. One was to uh, withdraw a policy statement that made it clear that the FTC Act Section 5 prohibition of unfair method of competition was going to be safely grounded in uh, the Sherman Act and in the notion of consumer welfare and basically opening it up for a broader application, at least at the uh, commission level. Moreover, uh, the commission by a three to two party line vote authorized 10 years worth of investigations uh, potentially in seven focus areas. One of which of course um, is uh, hospitals. And, other, and, we, and previously, even before she arrived, the commission announced some retrospective looks at provider mergers among physicians and non-hospitals. So there's a lot going on. And you know, before we run out of time, you know, we ought to go back to the EEO, I think. Joe, you, it'd be helpful if you mentioned some of the recommendations or encouragement that was done in the pharma and pay for delay area.
1: So that that's another important area. And this is also news. So um, among the encouragements was uh, for the FTC to use its rulemaking authority uh, to tackle some of the uh, sticky pharma issues, you know, pay for delay or reverse payment in particular. And so this has been something the FTC has been, you know, pursuing for decades. Uh, It finally got a case to the Supreme court, the activist case Um, you know, they won that at the Supreme court. They, you know, found a standard to apply and now they've applied it uh, and then there's, you know, Recent, uh, as of a couple of months ago, Court of Appeals decision um, uh, out of the Fifth Circuit uh, applying the rule of reason, and so that has you know taken a you know, a long time to work its way through. Um, and I think you know one of the reasons is that it's an enormously complex set of issues that comes out of you know how to settle intellectual property disputes uh, when there's market power involved. Um, as there are, as there is frequently with uh, with pharmaceutical products. Um, here, the encouragement is to write um, more general rules uh, using the rulemaking authority. Uh, the reason that this is novel is that it's never been done, as far as I know, for competition issues only for consumer protection issues. Uh, and so, taking a more uh, broad rule-based approach as opposed to a case-by-case approach uh, will be, um, you know, new for all of us. Uh, you know, question whether the FTC has the authority to do that. I'm sure that'll be challenged uh, if. In in fact, they, they go forward with that. So a, a little more news out of the EO um, on that front.
0: Right, here's my final observation. And then Joe, you can back clean up. Um, the executive order also uh, established a council within the White House to coordinate all of these activity and to keep track of the 72 in this initiatives. You know, it's, it's unclear sitting here in July of 2021 at the end of the day, how much is really going to change? However, there's going to be a lot of pulling and tugging here on these issues throughout the government, and I think what the executive order and these, and these early initiatives at the FTC make clear is that they mean it. They're going to try, and they're going to, and they're going, to, and things are going to happen, and it's going to lead to uncertainty and potential change. And people are well advised to keep close and not just view it as more noise you know, coming out of our nation's capital.
1: Right. No, I completely agree with that. Uh, a lot of it. Well, some of it will be noise. Some of it's going to be relatively easy to do. Some of it's harder to do. So uh, I think there's, you know, um, bipartisan consensus on some of the recommendations. um Uh, For instance, lowering lowering barriers to entry for, you know, some jobs. Uh, Hair braiding has been a common one. Um, uh, There's been a bunch of cases against dental boards uh, to try to get, you know, non-licensed dentists to be able to, you know, do some dental services, things like that. I think that's, you know, relatively popular across the board, except if you happen to be a dentist and don't want the competition. Um, other things will be will be much harder, but I do agree that, you know, um, Lena Khan in particular uh, seems quite energetic uh, and seems uh, to take a different approach to her job at the FTC, which has traditionally been a consensus, uh, a place that's, you know, run through consensus um, uh, when Tim Urus came in um, as um uh, George Bush's FTC chair, um, you know, he had a goal to have unanimous votes all the time, um, and you know, traditionally, being a Republican or being a Democrat as a commissioner didn't really matter that much, except for um, you can only have, you can't have more than three of one party. Uh, here, this seems much different. It seems that she's, you know, willing to come in and do things on a straight party line vote, uh, and is is quite uh, quite eager to do so. So, I think that's another that's another um, cultural shift.
0: So we've only scratched the surface, but hopefully anyone who listens or watches this will find it helpful and maybe whet their appetite to to dig deeper and keep track of this stuff as it evolves.
1: Uh, thanks, Bruce, uh, and thanks to the AHLA for hosting us. For those who are interested, the AHLA will host a 90-minute webinar at the end of August, uh, maybe August 18th, 19th of the dates we're looking at to dive deeper into these issues. Um, we'll get some different perspectives, different voices, and we hope you'll join us there. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode,